This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's a Thursday, which means it's time for TF3 on a Thursday uh, with no Adam Boltwood. He's quit the club at the end of the season, and so we're looking at other options. Uh, his tactics just weren't working anymore. It was a little too conventional, and people had begun to work it out. Dave O'Brien, welcome back. Well, you know, replace Adam. You've got to get a Maverick in, haven't you? Yeah, you've got to get a Maverick uh, with a good sidekick. Uh, someone who plays pressing, at- attacking, podcasting, um, but also stays... I don't know where I'm going with this. Chris, welcome in the back. Box. Good. Hey. Uh, it's good to have you both on the show today as we go through the Q's and the A's, but also some of the news that's out there. Uh, uh, this weekend, obviously, we're going to preview a little bit of the football to come. And as Chelsea don't play till Monday, it's a good weekend for false hope in the Premier League as people get within seven or eight points of the top. Um, two teams who are never going to make it within seven or eight points of the top this season are Liverpool and Arsenal, or Arsenal and Liverpool. Uh, Chris, they're the 5.30 kickoff. And at this point, both managers are under pressure. Do you think um, Klopp maybe more than Wenger in my eyes? But but then that's only because I think that the the toing and throwing with with Wenger means he's under less pressure. It's it's not that he's in a, a lesser or a greater position. Excuse yes, me. It also seems a little bit weird though, doesn't it? Because it's almost as if well, with Wenger, uh, if he if he just says well, okay, well I'll go, then that just relieves all the pressure. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. It, it they're they're in massively different places on their timeline. So like to draw uh, use a metaphor, I think I'm using the right word there. Arsenal is more like a long term marriage, whereas I would say Liverpool is like the very early stage of a relationship. You know how sometimes they say after two years, you know if a relationship's got long term potential or not. Yeah, and you just begin it's, to let James Milner bomb on. It's it's that same kind of the thing in terms of. This is the first full season under him. And so a lot of the supposed frailties that were attributed to the fact he came in after the start of the season shouldn't necessarily be there. But then also, and this is personally my opinion, I still think, and I think I said it to you earlier in the week, that that squad still needs shaping into his um, preferred vision. I don't think there are 
a number of players that fit into uh, his ethos or his his approach. And I think until that refinement takes place, you probably won't see the best you can of of, uh, of Dortmund, uh, Dortmund. Excuse me, Liverpool. You're saying as a as a woman, you're still trying to shape your man. <laughs> um, that's perhaps where the metaphor falls down ever so slightly. But Roberto Firmino I, is uh, the special dates. James Milner is, you know, just coffee. I, ju- I just think that What's again, again but, uh, um, well, it's not very good after last night or oh, Monday's game. Um, wow! I, I think. What did you do with him last night? Um, <laughs> but no, I, I think um, when you you look at it, there's an interesting debate to be had about patience. Or, or whether actually it's a lack of pragmatism on Klopp's end, because I think you could form a, a strong case to be said that he does need to, to get rid of some of the Rodgers players and players that just don't fit what he wants to do and don't have a future. But then also you could say how pragmatic is he in terms of developing other styles? Because I would argue yeah. the man that's currently top of the table right now was able to ex- assess his team, accept that the formation he had didn't work and then change. And I think if we look at just the teams that are finding a little bit of success this season, it tends to be the ones that are quite pragmatic in their approach and are willing to, to change and, and throw throughout what they have written down in, in favour of something new. Dave, it, I mean... In his first few seasons at Dortmund, it's also fair to say that Klopp didn't like the world of light there either, though, did he? No, I'd say he did in terms of the, the vigour and what he brought to the club. I think there was definitely something positive going on there. And though, on, you know, the, on the table, he's in a very similar shape to what he was uh, at Dortmund. Yeah, but I think there was there was a bit more promise than at this Liverpool side in, in terms of uh, the, you know bringing young players through, bringing exciting talent through and... Again, it was Dortmund were a club that needed that. Dortmund were a club right then that had been through the bankruptcy. They'd been through um, near being insolvent and so forth. And I, and I felt that they needed a hero. They needed a, a saviour in a way. And, and so Liverpool did need a saviour. It, it's like that Liverpool expect a saviour in a way. Where so Dortmund saying, do, you, do you feel a little bit like, uh, and I, I'm a little bit worried about this, that Liverpool have almost assumed, uh, so, so it's almost as if, and this is another metaphor for Liverpool, they've taken up the gym membership but now they're not going to the gym. Yeah, they've, they've expected this instant success. They've expected to come out with a six-pack after half a session or you know two they've weeks of Mike doing Chang, the programme. Yeah, they've seen Mike Chang on hip uh, on uh, six-pack shortcuts. And yeah, they, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Whereas what they need to do is they need to go down and hit the iron hard, not just work on one part of their body. They need to work on a full-body workout. They need to do their legs, their arms, their biceps, their they've triceps. They need to do dev. everything. Yeah, and Liverpool have a weak core, and you're right there. Their you know their core is too easy to penetrate, and that's unfortunately wow. what Liverpool needs to do is readjust that central penetration. That six pack is not even there underneath the sure. belly fat. Okay, uh, I think I think we've taken that metaphor far enough. Um, uh, having said that, though, Dave, uh, in the big games, Liverpool have tactically been able to exploit a lot of uh, the big sides. And it's fair to say that Arsenal in recent years and uh, based on uh, previous fixtures, not always enjoyed playing Liverpool, uh, on the Klopp at least. Well, yeah, I think it's uh, that Klopp has worked out how to beat bigger teams. I don't, I don't think anyone argues with that. I think Klopp's intensity in these bigger games and how he sets up his teams are very good. I think it's the other way around, that they struggle in these smaller games. Statistically, that's completely proven. And I think with, you know, you saw the game at the start of the season, Arsenal versus Liverpool. It was a crazy game, but it was a very Jurgen Klopp-esque game, you know, trading punches and so forth. And 
it kind of evolved that. And, you know, the recent game against Manchester City, Liverpool were a lot better tactically disciplined. They, they you know, the shape was very good. Ten men behind the ball in sort of a, a 4-2-4 shape, but it was a defensive 4-2-4 in their own half. So it looked very, very good. And that's what he does against these bigger teams as he presses them at the right time. But also they're very compact and they use the pace to get in behind, which troubles a lot of these bigger teams. The problem with that, that approach doesn't work against beating teams like West Bromwich Albion that are going to defend their penalty area. You can't sit back against them because they won't allow that. They're sitting back. I think that's the problem, that he's got the answer against these larger teams. He's got the weapons against these larger teams. But what Liverpool potentially lack is a goal scorer. You think of Seydou Mane, who is the player that's um, scored their most goals in the Premier League this season. Been directly involved. We scored um, 20% of Liverpool's goals. But if you compare that to the big dogs in the Premier League, like the top six, that is, uh, you know, it's quite a a poor margin in a way. If you think of Zlatan at Manchester United, he scored around 39% of, of United's goals, obviously carrying the team there. But then you've got other ones with, um, you know, for example, Harry, you know, Harry Kane at Spurs, who's rocking in, a, he scored around 35% of, of Spurs' goals. Sanchez, 31%. Costa, 29%. And Aguero down at 21% at City. City have struggled for goals recently. Liverpool are struggling for that goal scorer. And I think without, you know, Daniel Sturridge isn't that guy. And they've got to address that in the summer. Klopp has to address that. You know, it's fair enough saying that the board make these decisions, the sporting director makes these decisions. He now knows this squad. He knows that it's weak at centre-back. He knows that it's weak at potentially at left-back, weak at defensive midfield and weak up front. And he needs to address those, that, that, all those four issues. And it's now his team. There's no more excuses for Jurgen Klopp in this next transfer window. It's his, it's his call. Yeah. He didn't buy anyone in January because he was like, you know, I'm happy with the squad. That was a bit foolish. I'm not in my sure. I, in fact, I think you're misquoting him there. I don't think Klopp said he was happy with the squad. I think he uh, said that the deals that he wanted to do uh, weren't falling into place and therefore he wasn't going to go for those deals. And I, So I think that's different to being happy with the squad. I think it's very clear that Jurgen Klopp isn't happy with the squad. I mean, you know, you can see that from the front line that he's playing. The problem being, Dave, that even though he's not happy with the squad, you can't fall back into what Liverpool did last season, which is to say, OK, we'll give you this time to work on your tactics, all those kind of things, and work it out, and we'll write off the rest of this season. There has to be some progress made. So finishing in the top four is the minimum they'd expect. And the problem being that Liverpool, on Monday night, did not do that against Leicester, and they made some very basic tactical mistakes, which you'd argue shouldn't be made, whether Klopp's happy with the squad or not. Yeah, definitely. I think that's the thing. It's it's the, the crazy thing. The two big results Leicester City have got this season have come um, against two of the in in open brackets, you know, best coaches in the league that have been a bit naive against Leicester. Leicester won the Premier League, sitting deep, counter attacking, using the space in behind with Jamie Vardy, with Riyad Mahrez breaking with the ball at his feet. Liverpool and City both have done that this season and been absolutely thumped by Leicester. And again, it was a bit. The same thing, the same thing over and over again. Why didn't Klopp even think about trying a back three? You know, consider nullifying Jamie Vardy. That's Leicester City done this well, I think, season. I think because they, they didn't have anyone that could play in that back three. They had two central defenders. It would have been, I mean, a back three would have consisted of... Uh, Matic, you could have chucked Klein there. You could have thrown. I don't know. No, Lucas I think, through the middle. I just think there potentially could have been a better way. You know what Liv- Liv- uh, the Liv- Leicester City strengths are, and I don't think Liverpool did anything to I think, negate. I, them, I, also, I also think that's part of it, though, Dave. Is actually there was there's no need to play a back three against Leicester because Liverpool. You would assume that uh, John Matip and Lucas could deal with an out of form Vardy. The, the problem was that Liverpool came up against them in what essentially looked like. Um, a, a slightly shifted, if not doing very similar to what they were good at, uh, squad. Yeah, I think it's, it, it, again, it is one of these things where 
Leicester the stats. You know, they ran 10 kilometres more than Liverpool, uh, more than they have in a single game this season, the whole squad combined. The whole team on the starting 11 and the substitutes and whatever. But it's it, it's a real weird one. You kind of know what Leicester City can do. I think that's the thing. It's ass- assessing what could happen, given that their manager's just been sacked. Their manager's just left. The players are going to be motivated. It seemed like Liverpool did come into the game tactically naive, but also maybe motivational and sort of, you know, looking behind the scenes of what actually is going to fire these players up. They're a bit naive there as well in terms of their analysis of psychologically where these Leicester City's players are going to be. They want to prove something. They want to show that the, the boss didn't win the Premier League for us last season it was us the players and our player power has got him out and we're going to be better now and again it's that crazy situation Liverpool have caught, become undone against a team that they, they should have been beating yeah I'm not I'm not a massive fan of uh, throwing the boss or the players under the bus I think there was some sort of a combination of the two and the tinker man as he was known maybe um, there were elements of that which let, let both sides down anyway uh, Liverpool find themselves in this position they find themselves on the the brink of not really being involved in the top four chat anymore. Uh, but Chris, in, in this game, uh, it's it's fair to say that they're playing an Arsenal side that don't have much to play in the Champions League after. So really, Arsenal can put all into this. Yeah, they can. That's that's the thing. I think they've got the FA Cup still as well. So their priorities, you would argue, are, are very apparent. Because again, I think even the most optimistic Arsenal fan isn't going to expect to turn around with that game because. Bayern Munich are just too good and then the, the deficit is just too great so I, I'm also a firm believer that really you should focus on the next game regardless even if you have you know a decent uh, chance to, to go past Bayern Munich if you're still in the title race I think the second you start looking forward to games in the in the calendar is when you give yourself more trouble because you're not focusing on, on what's ahead of you and that breeds complacency as, as a consequence and I also think it puts more pressure on the game that you've singled out because again you've accepted that you know well the game before was a loss because this is the one we really care about um, and, and in general it's a funny time for Arsenal because I think their future is so un- uncertain whereas you could look at Liverpool for a contrast and say yes their their future is clear because it's it involves Klopp it involves continuing to build that that process, that team. Whereas Arsenal, I, I can't really tell. There's no strong leaning towards the fact that Wenger's going to go or Wenger's going to stay. Who who will come in if he does go and what that brings with it? Because that's, you know, that's, again, to use that relationship analogy, it would be them breaking up with their, their first love and the person that they've been with for, for most of their life. So George Graham. It's it's that idea of you know what what comes after that. It's it's going to be very different. Whatever comes and whenever it comes, it's just now deciding exactly whether it's going to be this summer or it's going to be delayed uh, for a few more years. Depends if you. I mean, oh, there's so many jokes. Anyway, um, but you know what? Both clubs are actually in fairly rude health, even though Liverpool uh, reported somewhat of a loss. I say somewhat an actual loss financially. Uh, based on spending on some players and also some other spending, obviously on stand and um, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, it is fascinating how people try and put it down, almost try to blame the players who were bought uh, for their price tag. Uh, but it is what it is. Uh, those two clubs play five thirty on Saturday UK time, at least. Um, there are some other fascinating ties in the Premier League this weekend, guys. Uh, West Brom play Palace. Uh, it's Pula City, Chris. Yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting one. Um, 
Mark Hughes. No, no. So, wait, West Brom Palace. Come on. Oh, West Brom Palace. Sorry. Yeah. Um, it seems as if Allardyce's methods are slowly working. And yet, in the shadow of that win was the fact that Andres Townsend and Christian Benteke had a pretty uh, nasty-looking argument on the pitch afterwards because Townsend didn't pass to him. And Benteke there did are that reports, at Liverpool as well, you know. Well, this is the thing. There are reports that Benteke is not exactly delighted at Palace at the minute and that Palace are somewhat mutual with that feeling and, and they'd be willing to sell him if the opportunity arose. So... It's it's a curious situation because they've invested heavily, I think, not just in Benteke, but in a lot of players. You look at Shup, Townsend, Kabai. It's a lot of money, money invested in a lot of different ways. And the truth is, it just hasn't come to, to pass for them. They, they didn't have the dramatic upturn I think they expected. And for me, it points to the fact that it's a lot more difficult to do what, say, a Southampton or an Everton have gone and done, which is consistently build and move up the table as you do it and sustain yourself in the top. You look at Pulis for a contrast, he's done that, but it's taken him a few years. And I can't imagine any of us were saying this time last year, uh, I think Pulis will have a decent run next year. I think we'll get into the top 10, the top eight, whatever. So it's it's a very complex machine, that one. And I, I'm sure there's not a worse time for, for Pulis to come and face them now given the history with the payoff and and everything that uh, is is circulating with that so I don't know if they'd take Pulis back honestly because I do think this is very much the perfect storm for him this season I don't think this is what he does consistently um, but I also think that they're a little bit more nervous with um, Sam Allardyce than maybe they thought they'd be when they got him Point, uh, Dave Leicester Hull can Leicester continue this or do you think they're going to come up against a slightly savvier side than that Liverpool setup? Yeah, I think they'll come up against a slightly savvier side that is capable of playing a back three that could negate negate the front two of of, um, of Leicester City. So it's going to be interesting. Marcus Silva's done a fantastic job, and he's he's got some interesting players in. Obviously, he's made a load of signings in January. It's going to take a bit of time for those to get on board, but they look like they are getting on board. And I think this whole team has a lot more, you know, has some different components that Leicester might not like to play. Um, you know, physical. Centre back. So I'm impressed with Harry Maguire recently. Actually, he played very well against Manchester United, and then since that game, he's sort of gone on a bit of a run where he was good against lot, Liverpool. Yeah, yeah, like he's he's started to turn into a good defender. You know what? What being from Sheffield, Sheffield United for a while, and never like took that step up, and finally at. At Hull, it looks like he's finally being the defender that everyone's seen him being. And he, I've been very impressed by him. So him versus Jamie Vardy is going to be a great battle. I quite like him bringing the ball out when he's playing in a back three. He's quite good on the ball. He, he's good at carrying it over distance. I think he nearly scored against United from bringing it out. And he nearly scored against Chelsea from bringing the ball out of centre-back. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting proposition there. But with um, Nias up front, you don't, never know what you're going to get. Could be good, could be bad. You, you just Sometimes he hits the back of the net. Sometimes he hits Rosette. So it's going to be an interesting game. But Leicester... Danny Drinkwater was very good in Didi. That, that, that looks like a good combination, a little bit different than the Conte uh, Drinkwater, where they were both a bit interchangeable. One would go, one would sit. This is more of Drinkwater holding and Didi uh, pressing a little bit higher. So that, that's got some potential as well. So there's a lot of potential for this Leicester team, but it is whether it was just this one thing, or boss has gone now, let's perform. Yeah, very good point. Uh, obviously, Chris, uh, later on in the weekend, it's Tottenham, Everton. Um, that, that, I mean, that's exciting. Yeah, because I, I think Coleman was, was talked about as a potential Spurs boss at one point, was he not? Uh, yeah, and he's also being talked about as a potential boss for someone else very soon as well. 
Mm. <clears throat> he's um he's a curious fellow because he loves I mean, Twitter. I think, yeah, I was going to say I found it quite interesting that he um essentially was quite open in saying, you know, I don't want Southampton to win because that means that we could potentially nab a Europa League spot. He was very honest. I can't I can't fault his honesty in that sense if it if you know if it did lack somewhat in diplomacy. Um He's very Dutch. Yeah, it it does seem as if he's gone through his own little mini transformation this season just because there was a period where I don't think Everton fans were too enamoured with him. And I think now they're slowly starting to see what he's doing. Um, I think, for me, the, the thing I enjoy most watching Everton at the minute is watching Tom Davies because I think... For me, Everton have always been a fairly decent production line in terms of young players, but I, I've never been quite sure how consistent that has been in terms of them staying with the team and actually reaching the potential that was projected for them. Mm. Guys like Jack Radwell, to a lesser extent Ross Barkley, I don't think have hit the heights that have been projected for them. Now, in fairness, I would caveat that with some of that is media hype and I think some of that has done them a disservice and maybe it wasn't Everton fans talking about them as England staples and all this kind of stuff. But in Davies, I think they've got someone that actually can achieve what is set out for him because I think he's got so many of the the mental intangibles that you can't always see unless you watch them uh, across a, a game and just watch them and no one else. But also he's technically very good and I think that's what Everton need to be doing. Yes, it's great to buy Schneiderlin and I think he's been a massive improvement for them. He gives them, alongside Garner Gate, a fantastic defensive shield. The pair of them are just so suited to work around each other. I think Schneiderlin's got a little bit more craft and guile than, than Gay, but Gay covers the ground in, in a, a, a fantastic way. But I also think that they need the complement of young players alongside that. And then you look at Lukaku up top as well. I, I think this is a good situation for him to be in right now with Everton. I think he's at a good club. And so it's hard to really find a, a negative with Everton right now, if I'm honest. It is very tricky to find uh, negatives. In Everton. One of the negatives may be that if if Lukaku and uh, maybe the manager leave, then they might be in a tricky situation. Um, yeah, and I mean, look, Blassie's injured as well. That doesn't look too great for them, considering he was a sizable investment. Um, which, again, I'm sure Spurs can relate to because they've had to go out and try and buy that kind of player. And I think that's where Spurs need to to refine themselves a little bit now, as in the recruitment process, because they've had some massive successes. Christian Eriksen for what was it, ten, twelve million, is now looking an absolute steal for Tongan Alderweireld. You could say Vanyama as well, very good. But I think when they come to buy those big money players, if you will, the Sissokos, to a lesser extent Lamella, because he's picked himself up under Poch, they just need a little bit more refinement. Because I think at the minute, they're investing big sums, but I don't think those players are taking them to the level they should be. Mm. Lamella has in spades, but obviously he's injured at the minute, which is not great. But again, without wishing to scapegoat the guy, Sissoko is... is to me, everything about that said panic buy, and it, it's interesting that the, these two clubs were both in for him um, because I think they both had money to spend but didn't really know what they wanted to spend it on. And in the end, I think they both convinced themselves that he gave them what they wanted. I mean, Poch talked about wanting a guy they could run in behind. But really, if you watch Soko, and I've said this before, I've never seen him really do that, run in behind a fullback and, and collect a through ball. He's very much... Once it into feet, stands them up, runs past them. So, yeah, I, I, I've talked to Flav about on the fighting cock about 
you know, he really wants Dybala and things like that. I, I do just think they need to be shopping, not for Dybala specifically, Dybala. But, <laughs> but I mean, I mean like the, when he was at Palermo, I think that's where Tottenham need to be. They need to be in that market of a guy that could genuinely be a star. They need that sort of Bale type character, I think. Someone that they can maybe just add an extra 10% to to take him into the world-class bracket. Uh, Dave, let's go to Manchester. Not literally, though that would be terrible. Um, Sunderland, the Ma- sorry, real Manchester, Dave. Um, Sunderland are at home to Man City this weekend. Let's go to Sunderland. Uh, I mean, Dave, uh, David Moyes has already said uh, we've got 12 games left and we're playing Man City next. So I'm not going to put too much hope on that one. Well, that is classic David Moyes, but you mean North Manchester, Lawrence McKenna, not actual Manchester, North Manchester. That's where Manchester City are from, North Manchester. As opposed to United, United, who are in Trafford, which is... South Manchester, Lawrence. You mean South of Manchester? No, no, South Manchester, Lawrence. You need to get your your bearings right, mate. You don't want you going to the wrong postcode in Manchester. Someone might stab you. Believe me, Dave, there are enough people uh, in Manchester already want to stab me, no matter the postcode. (laughs) This is true. This is true. Good morning, Stephen Um, (laughs) Harrison. But anyway, yeah, City versus Sunderland. Not really going to be a classic. It was, a, it was a, a such a scrappy game at the start of the season. That was when Guardiola was messing about with inverted fullbacks. Uh, but he didn't have Philip Lahm anymore. He had Bakary Sagner and Zabaleta. Didn't really pay off. Um, City were really good against Huddersfield. Played at that higher tempo again. Aguero looked uh, fresh. Scored two goals, got an assist, but it was his work rate and his determination. I think in Sterling, they've got a player that's going underrated this season. I think he's hitting, he's definitely back up to the levels of Ryan Sterling at Liverpool. He's starting to play some really good football and again was pivotal in the, the victory against Huddersfield. So I expect I think he's City. Above them, to be honest. Uh, potentially, yeah. Uh, he's a good point. He, he, uh, you could say that he is ahead of where he was at, sit, at uh, Individu- Liverpool. Individually, yes. So it's. Um, it's interesting, and obviously with Sane in there as well, if they're starting to starting to look come a good against City uh, again, and I expect them to be be maybe uh, third, second in the Premier League. So this is the start. Of, this is the turning point. In this Lawrence, right now, very enjoyable prediction there, Dave. No, oh, um, yeah. uh, Man City find themselves. Yes, that's right. Uh, Eleven points off the top going into this game. Uh, Sunderland, if they. Excuse me, Sunderland, uh, if they uh, do manage to get through this game, which I imagine David Moyes hopes they do. Um, Sunderland uh, then play Burnley, Watford, Leicester. Those are the three games, essentially, uh, that they need to get some points out of. They then play... uh, They've got a pre... They've got... uh, Put it this way. They've got some very winnable games between now and the end of the season, but they also play uh, Manchester United, Arsenal, and obviously Man City and Chelsea. Their final day of the season is against Chelsea. Uh, Dave, I'm going to stick with you in South Manchester, where uh, Jose welcomes Bournemouth. Uh, also, Bournemouth. also b- judging by your geography, somewhere in South Manchester. Mm, somewhere in South Manchester, Lawrence, yes. Bournemouth. Old Trafford. Ah. <laughs> Back off, mate. Uh, going to be a good got, one. You, you got the silver, first silverware of the season. Do you think they're going to show it off around uh, South yeah, Manchester's biggest uh, social attraction? Yeah, I think so. I think so. They're going to get the get the trophy out. Um, you know, in fact, what was it? There's only forty second major honour or something, eclipsing a club in in Merseyside's record. But anyway, Lawrence, we'll move Central on. Central Liverpool, football. Dave. No, no, Merseyside. I'd have to say. Um, football wise, yeah. Zlatan Ibrahimovic is the main man for United, obviously this season. 
scored 33% of United's goals in all competitions, been directly involved in 50% of United's goals in the Premier League, 15 goals and four assists, and has scored more goals for Manchester United than Mata, Martial, Rooney and Marcus Rashford combined. Wow. And in terms of what he did for, against Bournemouth earlier on in the season, he showed uh, showed his side to the game that many British punters hadn't known or, or didn't know. That was him driving through midfield and, and cracking a low shot into the bottom corner of the goal. United were dominant in that game, and I expect them fully to blow this Bournemouth side away. Fully to blow. All right, fair enough. I'm going to go with it, Lawrence. Uh, Dave, do you Don't think the boat? Do you think Bournemouth are in trouble? Uh, yeah, I've, you know, I've tipped them early doors to struggle, you know, with the, the dodgy similar players. Losing Nathan Ake has been a, uh, you know, a bigger loss than expected because uh, he was brilliant for Bournemouth first half of the season. So Jack Wilshire is out injured again, I do believe. So there is a, a lack of creation in that centre of the park and too many sideward, sideways passes in that midfield. So there will be a bit of an issue for Bournemouth against Manchester United. Interesting. Uh, what about Wayne Rooney, Dave? Uh, there have been poll after poll on Twitter of where he's going. Uh, where would you like him to go? Um, Home? Maybe, maybe to North Manchester. Uh, Everton. Yeah, Everton. <laughs> Everton. <laughs> That'd be a good one for him, you know. It's time for at the end of the season. It's definitely time for Rooney to move on to go. Um, until that point, he'll be a, a valuable member of the squad, playing at number ten or whatever. I hope Mkhitaryan's back for back for Manchester United, but Rooney could be a good substitute if he's not. Well, the words coming out of North Manchester, and we can't really avoid it much longer, uh, are the kind words for Luis Enrique, who announced that he will be leaving come the end of the season at Barcelona. Uh, pressures. Uh, been created by the media in many ways, Chris, uh, though you'd also mm. say that it's been created by Barcelona because their own structure seems to have let them down now. And for some reason, Luis Enrique is being used as the fall guy in this one. It's a political club in the same way that Real Madrid is. Um, I actually was hanging out with a friend of the show, David Cartledge, on Monday. We went to, to go and watch the Spurs youth game that I was talking about in the last episode. And he's based in, in Barcelona. And he did so Monday, I expect him to, to leave at the end of the season um, because I think he's just tired. And and that's the thing. Barcelona, for all of its prestige and, and perceived law, is a very draining job, both physically and mentally. Um, and I think for, for Enrique, someone who was often the bridge between players and management, I think he just got being tired of being the diplomat. And, you know, you, you look at what he achieved in terms of the treble and then the double. I think there's only a handful of managers that have done that, followed up a treble with a double the next season. So his record stands for itself in that respect. I, I think what they do next is, is going to be very interesting because, again, that's where the politics come into it in terms of selecting the successor. I know Miguel Delaney's wrote a story today that says that Jorge Sampaoli is likely to be ruled out for that political reason, um, that Bartomeu essentially wants a, a former player to come in again. And I can understand that from from the respects of you want to further that idea that Barcelona is more than a club, that it's a... It's a production line of, of more than just players, if you will. It's it's managers, it's coaches, it's being part of the family. And and look, you to digress very briefly, I think that's why Mourinho has such a problem with, with Guardiola is because he worked at Barcelona, but he wasn't reared on their um, education. So he didn't fit in in the same way that the likes of Coleman and people like that did. Um, 
and I think you look at the managers it's produced, Barcelona, be it largely former players and stuff like that, it's a good calibre of, of people. I just think they need, to, again, to use that word pragmatism, I think they need to be a little bit smart with things and I think they need to pick a coach that's going to help keep them at the elite level and, and winning trophies. Mm. Dave, well, your, your pick? Um, I think the um, San Paulo would be perfect for the job in terms of what he's done at Sevilla, his fluidity, his pressing style. That's what Barca massively they missed this season, their, their aggression in the press and their ability to win the... One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ball back. Um, so definitely number one. He's number one by country mile. If they don't get him, they're stupid. Uh, what he's done in the league so far has been fantastic. Other options, they could obviously go to Germany and pick up Thomas Tufel. He'd fit perfectly. But then why would he want to leave um, Dortmund with the young players they've got there and, and how he's progressed them this season? But in terms of the system and, and what he, ch- you know, changing the style of football up to a 3-4-3 away from the th- uh, the 4-3-3 would be perfect. So you think of the players they've got, uh, it kind of makes sense. MSM would still be intact. In terms of their central midfield, you go someone like Iniesta Busquets. Potentially, the right back issue is still a slot, is still a problem. I think with any manager that comes in, their first job is to get a decent right back, or you know, the sporting director get a decent right back. Because whoever you think of, um, you're going to bring in, you think of a Yardin, maybe you know, completely go away from where Barca have been recently with the football, the possession, and so forth, and the possession counter hybrid that Enrique had. Going to pure counter attack, you still need a right back. You know, the system doesn't work. The 4-4-2 wouldn't work at Barcelona without that right fullback. Of course, Jordi Alba on the other side is perfect. Left-back-wise, you... could play in, in a three or whatever. But it's, it's an interesting one. I think Thomas Tufel would fit perfectly. I mean, there some of the criticisms of Enrique I find very unusual. Uh, people talking about him not being able to bring youth through or sort of criticism of him. Um, I kind of feel like he's been put in this position where he has to play certain squads, certain players, right? I think so, yeah. It's kind of the weird one with Barcelona is that they, you know, even though you say you've got to bring all these young players through, potentially because you've had so many good players in the recent memory, you know, the best two central midfielders in world football or the best three central midfielders in world football, should we say, for the last 10 years, Busquets, Xavi and Iniesta, you're not going to consistently produce players like that. It's, it, you just can't do that. What you need to do is potentially bring the ones in that have a slight, you know, have the potential or could fit into um, certain certain positions in the side, you know, especially at right fullback. Getting someone from the Barcelona Academy may have been a better thing than signing someone like Alex Vidal. Alex Vidal was fantastic at Sevilla, playing right midfield, playing right back, but it was a different type of football. It was a counter-attacking football. So again, it's fitting your the cogs to the 
you know, fitting the cogs in. Obviously, Sergio Roberto has played at right fullback for this Barcelona team, but you know, is is a is a central midfielder. He's played absolutely everywhere, and maybe fullback is a little bit too much of a specialised position for him um, to play and, and to to excel at. You know, such as Dani Alves has done in recent years. So it's players like that that you should fill in by your academy, and then you can get the likes of MSN buy them in. You could potentially sign a you know a central midfielder every now and again, a, a centre back. But yeah, I can't criticise him too much for the youth side of it. I don't think he's been too bad there. It's just the, the generation isn't as powerful as the previous generation mm-hmm. of youth players. You know, money air, hot and cold. Um, you think of the other strikers that they've, they've sort of brought through. I can't think of the guys like Tello, for example. Not great at, in the last few seasons, their development there. So, yeah, it, it's it's a, a mixture of two, I think, not producing the talent, but not yeah, not having the, the right keys to, to put into his machine. I mean, Chris, this Certainly is... Certainly as well. He, he, yeah. He's on loan yeah. Granada. He hasn't looked... Like he's, you know, the caliber of midfielder, and I mean, even closer home, Andre Gomez has has not been good since he came from Valencia. I th- honestly, I thought he would do better than he has. Um, I quite enjoyed him with Valencia, but he's he's been nothing short of a disaster. Um, so again, it's that thing of it's very difficult in in this moment because you're looking at it alongside his achievements, and you're struggling to find a flaw because of everything that he did but as it stands right now I don't know realistically what more he could have done like but, he can't uh, make what, youth what you players better with, yeah, you know what you, I mean you, you, can't make, if, you can't make youth players better I, you do somewhat get the that he must be left with somewhat of a bad taste in his mouth that he will feel a little let down by the structure there yeah of course I mean look that's part of it as well is that um, the the youth academy last year all this you, you you can Google it. There's a thousand articles telling you how great an academy that is. And yet, speaking to people like David, it seems like actually it's dropped off a little bit of like the, the standard there. And that is being borne out by the fact that, again, and, and I'm not singling him out, he is an example, based on the fact that I've seen a good amount of his performances this season. Sergi Sampa goes to Granada and doesn't hit the height. If he was good enough for Barcelona right now, he'd be playing in the same way that Xavi and Iniesta, they kept those guys around the squad because they knew the potential was there. Hmm. I think when you send someone like Samper out on loan or Munir, you're doing it in the hope that game time elevates their level. It's not that you know there's something there that will blossom in time. You're hoping that the rigors of first-team football will spark something and will ignite something and cause something to grow. Yeah, like a, a great example of that is Denis Suarez when he went to Villarreal and, and you know completely let sort of set the fire set the world alight there playing on the left midfield of a four four two but again it's a, it was a counter attacking four four two it's different space to operate in it's easier to play on the break um, than play in a possession based style when you're a winger when you've got to make things happen because instead of breaking into space breaking into yards and yards of space and being able to use your, your pace to just go around players you're playing against deep defensive blocks and that is harder to unlock it's a different skill to unlock and I think someone like uh, Denis Suarez coming back to Barca we've seen some games where he's been absolutely awesome but we've seen other games where he's been anonymous so it's that thing that yeah these players potentially just aren't at the standard that they should be at Barcelona some of these people are so just under the ire um, and the bottom line is also that you can't always 100% win everything when everyone else is being very good too. They do seem slightly out of step tactically with everyone else, which is what make, makes me wonder uh, which direction they're going to take the club. They, I don't know, a few years ago, people were sort of lauding them for all the good they were doing. It almost seems as if they've almost overstretched that a little bit and they didn't didn't plan for the future in the way you'd, you, the way you'd like them to. Um well, you kind of it's it's weird like you you know we do mention it like that but the signings that they have signed have been young 
like uh, Suarez, like um, uh, Gomez, but they just haven't made it. And it, it's one of these weird things. But again, yeah, the the policy of signing young players seems like the right thing to do. But when there's nobody on the market to sign these young players, don't you know? You can't do that just because you've got to do that, right? These players have got to fit into the team. Signings like even Rakitic made this Luis Enrique team, players that were at the top of their game, then just flip reversing and then going to sign talented youngsters or perceived to be talented youngsters. Kind of like, a, it's, do you see what I mean? It's like a really mixed transfer policy. One season they're doing this, next season. But then I think that goes with being um, a Barcelona manager well, and then what the presidents do and how much control the presidents have. Yeah, I mean, he is, he's also apparently one of the best coaches. I mean, Pep Guardiola praised him as one of the best coaches out there. Um, so I'm sort of wondering whether it's, you know, it, it seems not similar to what happened with Rafa Benitez, but as if certain expectations around him win out over other expectations. Um, and whether he suffers for that is an interesting one. Um, uh, should we move on elsewhere? Let's, let's, should we take some questions, guys? Or is there anything else you think around Europe that we need to be discussing today? Um, no, little, out, uh... little, little nod to Feyenoord. They look like they're mm-hmm. on course to win the Eredivisie. They managed to get a big win against PSV. Goal line technology played a part actually um, in giving them a two-one win over PSV, and it's it's it's. I mean, it's ended PSV's hopes. So I think that's the first time since two thousand and nine that there won't be a medal going to one of the De Jong brothers. Um, yeah, one of them has collected a medal in either season uh, in every season since two thousand and nine. But now they're both on the PSV. Squad um, that will that chain will be broken, but yeah, it's a great great achievement um, even to just get this far for Giovanni Van Bronckhorst because they haven't had money fired. It's been it's been all willing and dealing and trying to be smart. And who's that between the sticks, Chris? Uh, Brad Jones. Yeah. Oh yeah. Brad Jones collected an award for his goalkeeping. Um, seems a man reborn, uh, and and actually talked about the atmosphere on Sunday and I don't think it was a dig I think he, he just is very enamoured with his club when he said that the Decoip I hope I'm saying that correctly the atmosphere there was was better than than Anfield in, in his opinion like it just it was the best Banter. atmosphere he'd ever had To the, and they, I assume he was asked kind of you know you've played at Liverpool was that the best and he said yeah it was better than, than Anfield if I'm honest Where's your famous atmosphere? Uh, I mean Maybe, maybe when he's saying it's the best atmosphere I've played in, he means I sat on the fucking bench for ages at Liverpool, so I didn't actually play. Um, uh, although, you know, obviously the dig can also go uh, to Liverpool, who seem to let go of goalkeepers and then they go on to the, the next stratosphere of goalkeeping. Um, you could also say the same about... Wait, who was I reading about the... I mean, obviously Pepe Reina went on. Pepe Reina is arguably... Oh. Excuse me, that's the police coming for Chris. Um, Pepe Reina is now arguably a better goalkeeper than either Mignolet or Carius, uh, and will probably also suit because he can pass the ball. Um, Jones has left, and then there's one more who's doing uh, well elsewhere, which is... Let me look him up. Um, Jesse Dudek. No, it is... Uh, Galashi. Who is mm. now? Was he at Liverpool? He was, Davey. At Leipzig. Bench. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's been well good this year. Yeah, exactly. Saved Peno two weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, so all of those goalkeepers have gone on to find better things, arguably, uh, than either sitting on the bench or being abused. Uh, although Pepe Reina was obviously never abused at Liverpool and uh, had a fantastic relationship with the cop. Anyway, uh, all those goalkeepers gone on to better things. 
Um, thank you. Uh, should we do some questions, gents? Yes. Uh, oui. oui. Right. Uh, getting into it straight away. Just got to get the mentions up instead of all the favourites and hearts we've got. Um, your player of the season so far from the bottom half of the table. Either of you. Um, it's not a bad question, is it? Good. Harry Maguire. I, I quite like him. I think he, I think he's undergone quite a decent change under Marco Silva. Um, I think Tom Carroll at Swansea's been quite handy when I've seen him. Uh, Lorente um, at Swansea. Yes, I think he's finally found a system that the guilt is. Um, Sigurdsson, man. Oh, unbelievable. Beneficial. Yeah, Sigurdsson's another good shout. Uh, who, um, are we, who are we going for from Burnley? The team. Uh, Sean Dyche. Best player. Sean Dyche's tones. You've also got Middlesbrough there, so Adama Traore, I think, has something. It's it's just an end product thing with him. If he could just sort that out, he, would, he wouldn't he be anywhere near He has something special. He does. I mean, he, he can go past people like nobody's business. He can never underrate that skill. It is somewhat um, of a weird one, isn't it? Because actually, when you look, at, when I'm looking at the bottom half of the table, I also find Watford in uh, 12th place. Arguably, uh, arguably, you could say someone like maybe Aurelio Gomez. Uh, no, all right. Yeah, screw me. You're right. Um, no, it's not the person. I just I don't. He's, I he's letting a few whoppers. Um, sure. And Diddy at Leicester. Yeah. I know he's coming mid-season, but I I, I do like him. I, I, it's so difficult because he's coming in after Kante, and everyone is going to say, "Oh, well, yeah. what is he? How does he match up?" I think he's a very different player first and foremost. Then I also yeah. think that he's a very good player though, and and. I, I, look, we don't know what happens with Leicester this season. They, they look like they're in a decent spot now in 15th. I do think if they survive and he stays, I think he, he blossoms next season. Uh, Gabby Adini. Anyway, uh, who scored a hat-trick last weekend, Dave. Um, how good is Roberto Firmino really, says Daniel? Whoa, whoa, Lawrence, man. You can't, you can't just throw these things in, right? And then not let me defend my Man United agenda. You shouldn't sit on mute then, should you, you little bitch? Um, <laughs> how good is Roberto Firmino really? I was actually on mute for a reason there. Uh, why too much. Uh, would, yeah, just steaming behind me. Would <laughs> you have him at your club? What is his best position? I don't really know as an LFC fan. That's a question from Daniel Pagram. Anyone out there? I mean, I, I love him. I think he's great just off the front striker. He's an interesting forward. He, you know, played some of his best stuff at Hoffenheim, playing on like the left hand side, right hand exactly, side, just playing yeah. a bit deeper in midfield. I think he's but good yeah, just weird. left off the striker with someone like Coutinho. I think if you play, uh, you know, a top team, you play him as a false nine. If you play a weaker side, you play him as an attacking midfielder. But I think Liverpool lack that number nine to play ahead of him to get the best out of Firmino. Interesting stuff. Uh, I also just some of his touches are fantastic. He's great for highlight reel. Um, on, on, on a final point as well, Firmino for me is an elite counter-attacker and one of the issues that Liverpool have had in, in 2017 um, is that they haven't been able to break on teams. Teams have been breaking on them. True. Uh, yeah, very true. Uh, thanks, Lester. Uh, create the perfect man using EPL manager characteristics, e.g. personality traits, uh, Klopp, uh, Klopp's smile, Deitch's voice, Pulis's wit, etc., uh, what would you guys take? I wasn't going to take Pulis' legal team, was I? No. 
Uh, okay, so uh, I'm going to go down the table. I'm going to ask you to create the perfect man based on these things. Uh, Chelsea manager Antonio Conte. His uh, passion. Conte's passion. Yeah. Uh, Pochettino's hair. tactical mouse. Uh, yeah, the perfect man, Dave, not the perfect football manager. Um, Orange, being tactical isn't just in football. It's every single form of life. For example, you know, if he wanted to go to a restaurant, does he does he use the tactic of him being part of Pochettino, part of Conte, part of Tony Pulis to get himself a table, Lawrence? I understand. Got to think outside Dave. the box. Yeah. Uh, right. Anyway, um, Poch's hair. Poch's <laughs> hair. Pep Guardiola's languages. Eyes. Oh yeah, good languages. Yeah. Um, awesome, Dave. Now, now. If, if you're going to pretend that I had to go at Mario Goetze, then I'm going to pretend that you're having to go at bald people. Um, Lawrence, I don't know what you're talking about. But I said his hair, like, you know, take Pep Guardiola's style, bang it on. Okay, Dave. Arsenal. Arsenal's diplomacy. Uh, good. And also uh, his, his I didn't see it, characteristic. Um, <laughs> vision. Yeah. Um, um, does Claudio Ranieri get a... It, in on a technicality because he, he's been managing in the Premier League because I think his humility and dignity is, is has to be in there you're right uh, dignity is one thing uh, Liverpool and Klopp I don't think his smile is one of those things I think uh, Klopp's energy energy maybe maybe fashion sense I would have said Pep for fashion sense I quite like he always looks quite sharp uh, you are a cardigan man aren't you um, a little bit of knitwear there's a lot of sins <laughs> Manchester United and uh, Jose Mourinho. Smouldering? His smoulder. Anger. D- Dave, we're trying to build a lovely human being. Oh, uh, sorry, his uh, his way with the women. Um, uh, Ronald Koeman. Honesty, for his, for his blatant honesty. Yeah. Surely. Uh, West Brom, Pulis. Um... <laughs> what do we want from this man? Uh, his laugh. His laugh is a good one. Uh, I'm also his baseball just, cap. Yeah, his baseball cap. So I mean, he's got diversity when he's going out with the boys. Diversity, sure. Uh, I still feel like we've done Pulis bad, done him dirty there. Um, maybe his, maybe his defensive nature. Uh, Billich. Crazy attitude. No, we, sorry, this person is bipolar, uh, the person that we're building right now. Uh, <laughs> we are building an absolute nutter. <laughs> oh, I love his passion. I love his... We're just going to build someone who no one ever invites to a dinner party. Uh, he's the strong, silent, passionate type. <laughs> he's the strong, silent, passionate, outgoing type. Ah, he's a Libra. Um, I'm going to say his allure. A lot of players seem to want to go and play for him at times um maybe his ability to move on uh stoke city mark hughes uh his handshake um yes. burnley uh, sean dyche uh his voice for sure right mm-hmm. uh who's next on the table uh oh sorry uh watford matsari his language skills ability Dave language skills at some point we, we've got a man with multiple language skills <laughs> <laughs> way too much passion he's going to be a great man uh, maybe his, his ability to adapt yeah yeah that's it his adaptability yeah uh, Cl- Claude Puel 
his ability to just seamlessly. Yep, yeah, good. Uh, Eddie Howe. I was going to say his cheeky little face. He's got a cheeky little face. Um, Craig Shakespeare. <laughs> his ability to make people their best. Uh, who, He's a good man, writer, wasn't he, Craig Shakespeare? He manages... Uh, drop it, Dave. Uh, his, uh, who manages Swansea? Uh, Paul Clement. Uh, his ability to compliment the better aspects of the people around him. Yes. I or thought Karanka. I was there. Passion. Passion is there. Um, maybe his ability to uh, criticise those around him and still remain in the environment? Yes. Yeah. His ability to find the flaws in others. Because that's what you need in a relationship. <laughs> Nothing like finding the painful flaws of another person and pointing Some them out so directly. Some of my best relationships were when they found the flaws in me really early on. Yeah, short but sweet. Um, oh, uh, this one's a good one. Uh, Sam Allardyce. Negotiation skills. <laughs> <laughs> Travelling ability. <His> openness. <laughs> uh, relationships with journalists. Uh, short. Marco Silva. J- just looking foreign. It's I feel just... like he's got a very big cologne collection, and yeah. I don't know why. Yeah, you're, you're right. Uh, David Moyes. His ability to be dour and yet still stick around. His chronic realism. <laughs> Maybe his waistcoat. Um, I don't know. That one, this human is terrible. Um, here we go. Uh, well, we built what I David Moyes wouldn't so much propose as saying, I want to spend the days I've got left with you. <laughs> That's so true. I want to die with dignity. Will you be the one to inject me? Oh, um, it, oh. The, seems like there's a good question here uh, from Matt Brownie Cakes. Uh, if he, by the way, let us know which characteristics of managers in the Premier League you like. Um, if each of the top six clubs were a genre of music, which uh, would each club be? Uh, E.g., grime, classical, heavy metal, etc. Uh, so let's go down the top six, Dave. Uh, Chelsea. I'd say that would be like metal music. Uh, yeah, a bit passionate, a bit fiery. You can get up for it. Do you not think metal metal is a little bit hard to appreciate at times? Um, Similar to uh, Conte's football. Sometimes it's defensive. Sometimes they've got to wait for the right moment. And some people don't like that style, Lawrence. So you're saying it's metal, not heavy metal? Yeah, just normal metal, just not normal, heavy metal. Yeah, so normal sort of metal. A, a, aluminum. Yeah. Um, Spurs. Chris? Um, Spurs. Spurs is a tricky one, isn't it? Uh, could, could you go for sort of a, a, a UK grime scene? What's uh, Pendulum? Remember them? Whatever uh, Pendulum is. Uh, I feel like they're a little bit more nuanced than that, aren't they? There's a little bit more class behind them. Maybe they're a sort of a... Maybe a Spurs sort of daft punk. Yeah, possibly. Uh, because they're, they're behind the scenes, there's a lot of detail, but what comes out is, you know... But then daft punk top the table, whereas uh, Spurs... Uh, City. Justice. What, the same song over and over and over again? That's the one who did dance, didn't it? Yeah, the same song over and over and over again. Yeah. 
uh, Arsenal. Uh, I want to say like a sort of a, a guitar, uh, guitar music. <laughs> uh, Edith Piaf. <laughs> <laughs> I do imagine Wenger sometimes singing <laughs> Edith Piaf after a game. <laughs> He, he, I could he, just picture that as he's sort of led away by, you know, when no. DT take over. No, you know, regret all He sort of signals to Pat Rice to put it on. And Pat <laughs> Rice just plays it on the boom box, and all the players sort yeah. of go, oh no, he's coming in again. And he sails in. No. He finally. St- <laughs> That's what he's got on his iPod as he just takes them out one by one. <laughs> no, you know. Anyway, uh, Liverpool, heavy metal. Uh, United, Dave, what are United? Mm, something like. Something that's good. This, you know, got to the top of the charts, but everybody else hates it now. Uh, Last like, picture. Yeah, <laughs> something like that, like steps. Serial uh, winners, serial quality, but just like hated. A sort of now that's what I call music kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Like maybe, maybe what was Eiffel 95, were they called? Eiffel 65. Oh, it's Jose Mourinho. Do you think maybe they're a bit Justin Bieber because it's kind of they have a raging success and people dislike that in a way. Mm, but it's also good. very easy to dislike um, some of the shit that they put out. Hmm. Uh, where will Wayne Rooney be next season? Uh, Galazzo, Gonzalo Galazzo asked that one. Uh, Dave, we kind of answered that one already. Uh, what pitf- Somewhere else that's not Manchester United. With any luck. Uh, what pitfalls of the modern game do you think that, that are BS? Uh, Dave, you're going to say offside. Yeah, the offside rule is BS right now. Not the podcast, the actual, uh, the actual rule. Uh, mm. I'm going to say... Uh, clubs on Twitter. Uh, I'm also going to say I hate when clubs do their lineup as a video. It means that I have to watch the video. I just want it laid out in a JPEG. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> These are deep down issues here, Lawrence. It's like somebody's watching you across the road, isn't it? It irks me. Uh, sure, other modern pitfalls of the game. People saying that they know a lot about the game when they don't. Uh, Chris? Honestly, nothing jumping out to me, I have to be honest. Tactical analysis? Maybe just oversimplified tactical analysis? Um, yeah, a little bit of that. The, the, the cliche of modern punditry. Um, Twitter, for, yeah, tw- there we go, Twitter. That, there it is. I found the answer. Sure, Twitter, it's, yeah. It's just... It's such a... It's such a... Chris, are you okay? Do, do you, you need know, a hug? I mean, I, I know I'm, I'm... For starters, I know you're not taking the piss out of me, but, but honestly, this week, if there's one thing I've, I've come to realise with that, is that on the one hand, it can be a fantastic platform. On the other hand, it can be an absolute shit show of a place. Uh, good. Uh, your favourite football boots? Uh... Well, I just picked up a pair of Pure Controls. Who's that by? Um, uh, Puma? No, I just... Um, oh. I, I have been wearing the... And I've got them right here. The Nike Mercurials, the one with the sock attachment. Oh, um, they are very nice, aren't they? Yeah. They are, unfortunately, the... I don't know the technical terms here. The sole plate has come away from the actual shoe a little bit on the edge of the toe, if you will. Wow, at Nike um, Football. Wow. Yeah, I was kind of disappointed with that because these cost 170, 180 quid and they've lasted less than a year. 
Wow. Uh, God. Uh, 170 quid on football boots. Yeah, but I play a lot, to be fair. Sure. And the, the the thing is, I've got quite weird feet in general, so the more comfortable I can get them, the better. Um, but yeah, I'm quite disappointed because I obviously play a lot on artificial and that's rubber crumb stuff. Um, and that now gets in the crevice Gap, that's yeah. been created. That rubber crumb stuff peel. is annoying, isn't it? Yeah. It's bullshit. So yeah, I'm not, not massively impressed with that, given the cost. Um, yeah. Oh, well. So they should be a bit more durable. Uh talk to me dave I, i'm gonna go for the uh I, i've got the ace uh i think I've got the ace yeah uh the, the sort of silver they were mercury beautiful pair of boots great control thanks dave um i'm not really into boots to be honest pal what? i'm gonna be honest with you, I, like a standard pair of black boots will do me fine some good kickers to do some kicking and some goals you know, try you know, emanate sort of try and replicate my hero Gary. That's you know, I'm not too bothered what I get, Lawrence. Whatever ne- comes on Neville. the feet. Of course, Gary Neville, hero, man, legend, Mr. Overlap. They call me Mr. Overlap. Um <laughs> uh you look at some more. Uh here we go. Uh question for Satman Dave. Why is Ale- Alexandro never called up to the Brazilian national team? He's a beast. He's got mm. a beast of a le- he's a beast of a left back. He is a very he's been very very good this season. Um, been probably Juventus's best player, which is saying something considering the talent they've got in that squad. Um, you know, the, the, if you look at the the depth, they've got Marcelo there, who's probably number one. By I think Marcelo is a better fullback than um, Alexandro. Sandro one day will eclipse Marcelo, but at the moment definitely Marcelo first. And then you've got someone like you know Felipe Luiz. They've done a lot. Of, you know, Brazil recently have gone domestic a bit. So they've been getting guys from within their own league. But I think Alexandro should get a call up in the, the next squad, 100%. Uh, Dave, pictured City uh, say to us, uh, City could go to within eight points of Chelsea if they win the next game. Is the title race really over? Um, No, it's never, never over. You know, Liverpool, what was it? How, how many points clear were they of United, Lawrence? What, 12? Is that the biggest one? I don't know. Something like that anyway. Yeah, it's not over till it's over. Uh, so you're saying it's not over? Yes, I'm saying it's definitely not over yet. Are you saying... There's still 12 games to go. It's a lot of football. It's a very good point, although someone should really tell David Moyes that. Um, anyway, it's been fantastic to have you guys today. If you've got any more uh, questions, maybe Dave is going to go through some of those on his own football podcast, which is over on... Dave? The Statman Dave Football Podcast, available on iCast, on iTunes. No, on iCast and iTunes. iCast. (laughs) Sorry, iCast. I'm sorry, guys. Don't don't delete my podcast. That'd be terrible. I'll cry. Um, Or on YouTube if you want to watch me talking about football with my lovely background. Um, So, yeah, iTunes as well would be great if anyone wants to write a little review saying something like Dave is, is sick at life um, this is the best thing I've ever heard that'll be fantastic sure and if anyone wants to put in those uh, reviews that the podcasts are well edited and the auto audios of great quality just let us know um, <laughs> anyway uh, do it it's, it's good uh, it's, yeah uh, Chris if people want to go find your stuff what can they go read this week because obviously uh, there's, it's pretty key this weekend a lot of good things returning yeah MLS is back um Officially, I, I now seems a good time to confirm. I'm not doing MLS with Yahoo anymore, um, but I will probably be doing it other spaces. I mean, obviously, the front three is always a great vehicle to do that. 
Um, this week did something with Rashford's youth coach that should be quite interesting for people. Even if you're not a Man United fan, and I say that because he talks about the development of a young player, and I personally found that quite interesting. Excellent stuff. Uh, well, uh, let us know on Twitter at the Front Three, or you can find us on YouTube. Uh, you can also find the Statman Day Football Podcast over on Acast, like Dave says, or iTunes. Uh, we are now off to meet Ian Wright. No way, Lawrence. Yes, Lawrence. Uh, we're on our way. So, uh, Dave, I'll see you in what half an hour, and we can go see Ian. Yeah, hopefully. What do you mean, hopefully? <laughs> um, maybe a little bit longer than half an hour, Lawrence. I'm going to be honest with you, mate. Okay, well, we've got to be got to be there by four thirty, mate. So yeah, uh, yeah get I'll see you there. See you there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, sweet. Uh, we'll see you guys again real soon, right here on TF3. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 